This is Salon Mix, featuring the people, trends, phenomena, and experiences that define and inform our lives and culture. I'm Salon's managing editor, Erin Keen. If you've heard this question once, you've probably heard it a hundred times. Is Donald J. Trump a narcissist? Salon's Mary Elizabeth Williams spoke with the man who wrote the criteria that defines narcissistic personality disorder, and he says Trump doesn't meet them. Dr. Alan Francis is also the author of Twilight of American Sanity, a psychiatrist analyzes the age of Trump. So if Donald Trump isn't a narcissist, then what's the diagnosis? Is the United States itself suffering from a mental illness? And if so, What's the treatment? So, Dr. Francis, you were working on this book even before the election. You have a lot to say about the the disorder that we seem to be collectively uh, suffering from as a nation right now. What changed for you then about this book and about the story after November 8th? Everything as a society that we were doing wrong, Trump accentuated in a way unimaginably worse than I, I could have conceived. And the uh, problems that I spotted going into the, the election have become exponentially worse since. Yeah. Um, and you get called upon a lot as as a person who is really an expert on mental disorders and particularly narcissistic personality disorder to comment on Trump's state of mind. And you have kind of bucked expectations about him and about diagnosing him. Tell me why that is. It's a great mistake to confuse bad behavior with mental illness. Uh, Trump is one of the worst people we could possibly imagine as president, but that doesn't mean he's mentally ill. And when we confuse the two, it's a terrible insult to those people who really are mentally ill. They're mostly nice, well-meaning people who don't do harm. He's a bad person, not well-meaning, very selfish, who does lots of harm. It also distracts us. Trump is a terrible political problem for America. In some ways, the greatest threat to democracy that we've had since the Civil War. He's a terrible environmental threat to the whole world. Uh, millions of people can die in the global warming that he's encouraging. What we're seeing with three monster hurricanes in just two weeks, this is just a, a, a signal, a warning of what the, uh, the future can hold. And we have billions of people le living in low-lying areas that will be in harm's way. And Trump is doing everything a human being can do to make global warming worse. So if we spend our time thinking about what's his diagnosis, we won't be focusing on what's more important. How do we contain this guy? And we have to have Congress, we have to have the courts, the press, and most important, we have to have the people stand up to Trump and direct us back to national sanity. And one of the things you say in the book, and I want to, I, I definitely want to to talk about how you really say that the, you know, the illness isn't, you know, the problem isn't so much him as as it is us as a culture. But just speaking to him for a moment, one of the things that that you say early on in the book that is is definitely not consoling to many of us reading it is uh, distinguishing uh, someone who is is mentally ill uh, from someone who may just be a bad person, uh, and is you say is not mature 
What you're really looking at is, is someone who has not matured and who is work, operating at a level of selfishness. Yeah, I think the, the two best ways to understand the, the daily drama of Donald Trump, and this daily drama, by the way, has been going on his entire life. There's nothing new in any of this. He's the most transparent person, maybe in the history of the world. You don't have to be a psychologist to understand Donald Trump. The two best ways of understanding him are to think spoiled child. Think a very selfish, spoiled four-year-old in a grown man's body. And the other thing to, that, that helps in understanding him is think reality show impresario. Trump isn't playing to uh, the good government crowd. He's playing to the reality show crowd. And the daily dramas get him amazing TV ratings, an incredible number of social network followers. Uh, he's a man who loves attention, positive or negative. And he's received more attention than any human being, perhaps in the history of the world, for doing outlandish things. They work for him. He, we shouldn't expect rational government from a man who doesn't care much about rational government, is too ignorant to provide it, and has an unstable um, approach to life that has his latest impulse be his governing principle. We shouldn't label that mental illness. We should realize what it is, and the solutions to this won't be removing him from office on psychiatric grounds, as some have suggested. It's never going to work. The, the, the solution that will either be impeachment, which I think will have its own set of problems, or Congress coming to the plate and containing him. We should have bills passed that his finger is not on the nuclear button. It shouldn't be that he wakes up in the middle of the night and instead of tweeting, calls a general and starts a nuclear war. We need to have Congress make clear that there's a protocol for making vital decisions that we can't trust to someone with the immaturity of Donald Trump. And as you say in the, in the book, it, crazy doesn't matter. That's, that's one of the things that you make very clear. The crazy, not crazy is, is not relevant to, to his performance or his actions. But one thing I, I also want to ask a little bit about, because I'm sure you have seen this a lot in the people you, much more than I, in the people that you talk to, is though that this administration, and particularly this person, reminds a lot of us of people that we have known in our own personal lives and is creating distress in a lot of us on a very individual level, um, as a reminder of parents, of coworkers, of bosses, what do you say to those people who say, but wait, but he reminds me of this, of this terrible person in my past, and it's, it's bringing up a lot of stuff for me and a lot of my own distress. I have to say that in my own personal life, which spans a lot of difficult people and many, many, many thousands of patients, I've never met anyone as disturbing as Donald Trump. I've never met anyone as selfish, as um, impulsive, as dangerous as Donald Trump. So I, I think that most of us have experience with difficult people, but we should put them in a separate category. Um, I think that the best way to deal with the stress of Donald Trump is to, to act. Don't get into arguments with the people who support him. Don't sit around the TV set screaming. I think that I, part of the motivation in writing the book, I've always been a political missing in action person. I've never done the right thing. I've been shamefully inactive in all the political turmoils of my life. This is not a moment to be a summer soldier. I think everyone in America as a citizen has a responsibility to save our country from what may be one of its most perilous moments and to save our world from what may be a, a trigger point 
towards a global warming we won't be able to reverse. People need to demonstrate. People need to see their Congress people. People need to prepare for the 2018 and 2020 elections. This is a mo the most important moment in American history for, for hundreds of years. And sitting on the sidelines is not an option. And you really delve into how we got to this point in the book. That's what a big part of this, this book really is, is about us as a, as a nation and the onus on us and how, uh, how so much of our history has really prepared us for this, this terrible moment we're, that we're experiencing right now. Talk a little bit about, because you devote a whole chapter to, to these, this series of delusions that we operate under and about, um, about our compulsion or our, um, our tendency towards optimism and how optimism can be a very dangerous thing. Well, optimism has been a wonderful thing in American history. It, it helped us to get to be the greatest country in the world. It can also blind us to the reality of our situation. Um, the population of the world has tripled in my lifetime. Every single trouble spot in the world, whenever you read an article about a place that's having a civil war or mass migration or pestilence or, or famine, every one of those places in the world is troubled because the population has increased by three or four times in just 50 or 60 years. Um, we're running out of resources. We couldn't support 7 billion people on this tiny little planet if we hadn't discovered the, the uh, energy power within oil 200 years ago. But that oil is running out. What's going to happen? We don't have that source of energy that's cheap and, and readily available. Um, we're despoiling our environment in every conceivable way on land, in the sea, and most dramatically in the air with the carbon load that we're placing that's insupportable. Only the most irresponsible of parents can see the situation clearly and not worry about their children and their grandchildren. Will we hand on a world to them that will be much worse than the world that we inherited. And I think the, the, the point of the book started well before Trump was, we have a responsibility in the future to be thinking not just about our current selfish concerns. We have to be conserving the earth, conserving the uh, air we breathe, conserving the oil and water that is necessary for our current population. We have to do right, not just by the present, but also by the future. Trump is a consumer and an encourager of, of consuming. And every single policy, and everyone who's appointed to office, is directed towards making the worst decisions for the future because of opportunistic political gain in the present. So the, the idea of the book before Trump was, let's wake up and be responsible people. The idea after Trump is, he should be shock treatment. He can either be the tipping point to horrors in the future, or he can wake us up to the irresponsibility of our past and current behavior. And post-Trump, the post-Trump world can either be a dark age or one of renewed enlightenment. And you've talked about, and you were very frank, that you yourself didn't fully understand how you were looking at this campaign a year ago and wondering how anyone could possibly fall for this guy, how, how people were actually buying what this guy was selling. And it took you a moment to really step out of that and see, well, what is what is the experience of people and what are the fears? Because that's the other thing that is really triggering this, this moment in our history. It's fueled by delusional hope that things will, will not get worse, but also fear that things are really terrible. And you talk about that. 
Yeah, Trump plays. He's a con man, a snake oil salesman, and a reality show host. And he plays on people's fears. He plays on people's angers very successfully. People who think he's crazy don't realize that in many ways he's crazy like a fox. He didn't get there completely by accident. He's totally incompetent as a president, but very competent in marshalling people who are upset with the way their, their lives are going. And I think the most important message here is that the people who voted for Trump were absolutely right to feel that the system was leaving them out. America used to be a worker's paradise. It's become a worker's hell. Um, the small towns in America are disappearing. Stores are boarded up. They can't recruit doctors. They can't keep school teachers. The country, a large part of it, is suffering greatly. The inequality in our country has become obscene. The 20 richest people in America have more wealth than half the country. 20 people more wealth than half the country. The message is real. The Democratic Party has been remarkably inept in connecting with its natural voters. The Republican Party has sold propaganda very successfully. And Trump is the epitome of someone who is the, the worst possible messenger for a reasonably uh, important message. Um, he's a false prophet. Every move he's made has betrayed the people who voted for him. And I think that the hope of the next uh, months will be that his falling popularity from 45% to 35% that we'll see a gradual erosion of people who realize that he was not the man they thought he was, that the hopes they rested in him were, were misplaced, uh, a buyer's remorse, and that he will become more and more isolated in office and as a result will be able to do less damage. Yeah, I guess that's my my question. You know, there I really appreciate that that as as incredibly sobering as this book is, you, like like all of us who are wired for optimism, and, and you say, I can't believe it, but that 80% of us are, uh, that, that you do find reason to hope. If you were looking at America as a single entity that is, is suffering right now and is in great emotional, psychological distress, if that were your pa if America were your pa were a patient, would you be able to say, well, here, yes, there is a there is a course to healing, there is a course to to restoring balance um, and some sort of mental equilibrium? The best results I've gotten in my life have been in the emergency room, uh, seeing people often for very brief periods of time in the worst crises in their lives. Years later, they would come up and say, Doc, do you remember what you said to me? That changed my life. I've treated people for fourteen years and had no impact. I've seen people for five minutes at a special time in their life where they could hear a message that previously they couldn't hear. Maybe they couldn't hear the, the week later. I think our country is in distress. The cover of my book has an upside down American flag, a signal, a universal signal of, of lethal distress. Our country is in distress. But my hope is that this will end the pattern of delusional de denial that for these last 30 or 40 years has, has led us away from our responsibilities to the future, away from our responsibilities to the rest of the world. And we have wired into our brains, the book also focuses on why we make bad decisions. We have wired into our brains the capacity to make the dumbest decisions. We're very smart creatures. We can make remarkably dumb decisions and remarkably selfish, uh, have, display remarkably selfish behaviors. But we also have wired in our brains a rational self and the ability to be altruistic. And if we can extend the altruism that's inbuilt in the human constitution, but usually focuses only on the family and the tribe, 
if we can realize that the world is now one tribe, it's the human species at risk, and we do not gain by following America first policies, if that makes some other culture lose. It's a zero sum, it's, it's, it's a game where if they lose, we will ultimately lose as well. If we can become rational again, if we can become generous to people in the rest of the world and to our children, I think there's reasonable hope that this could be a, a, a turning point much for the better. And I'd much prefer to have Trump as the grotesque representation of radical right policies that control Washington than I would rather than I would like to have Pence or Ryan. The impeachment in the short run has appeal because it takes his finger off the nuclear button. But in the long run, Trump is a grotesque representation of very, very dangerous policies. And the people who would replace him would be much more plausible in pursuing a course that would in the long run be terrible for America. It's an interesting uh an interesting way of looking at it uh, that we can, I think, as humans, um, be more easily deceived, is what you're saying, uh, than than by someone who who seems so overtly um, dangerous. That has has um, you know the appearance of of something more more catastrophically dangerous, and that in some ways that um, that garb can actually make us a little bit safer. Yeah, I think that sheep's wolves in sheep's clothing are more dangerous than wolves in wolves' clothing. And the, the tr Trump may just be the kind of shock treatment America needs. I, I hope you are right. And uh, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today, Doctor. The, the book is really extremely sobering, but like I said, but ultimately very hopeful. And uh, as, a, as a parent, uh, I share your, your deep concerns and also your, your deep hope and uh, this call to action that we are all called to. And uh, I really appreciate that you've taken the conversation in a direction of not laying blame or not looking for explanations, but really looking for solutions. And that's what I think this book is, is really calling us to do. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. It's, it's actually wonderful talking to you. That was Salon's Mary Elizabeth Williams talking with Dr. Alan Francis, author of Twilight of American Sanity. You can hear more episodes of Salon Mix at Salon.com, on iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you like what you hear, give us a five-star review while you're at it. Thanks. The Salon Mix team is executive producer Lauren Schiller with audio mixing and editing by Ashley Ann Krigbaum. And I'm Erin Keene, your host, managing editor at Salon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>